And I want to invite you to come back because our pastor, Brother Tom Williams, uh, he is preaching this morning at one of our sister churches, uh, the First Southern Baptist Church here in Bryant. He's there today, and so he'll be preaching, but he'll be back next week. So what I'm trying to say is, guests, you don't have to put up with this every week, all right? So come back next week. Brother Tom will be back. We are so glad that you're here. Good to have all you guys here. I know some of you are, are wrapping up vacations. Uh, we got kids going to beach camp, coming back in. I hear they've had a, a really wonderful week. Some of your parents have had a great week because you've been rid of your teenagers for a week and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we're good to have you. It's so good to have you here today. Let me, let me ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, uh, to uh, the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. And, and at the beginning of, of Matthew, uh, we're, we're going to look at uh, probably the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to answer some questions uh, that, uh, that Jesus has for us there from the Sermon on the Mount. But before we do that, have you ever one noticed how anytime you ask a question, someone has an answer for you? You know, you, you can ask the same question ten times and get ten different answers, Right? Let's just take a simple question, okay? For instance, let's take the old question, the old thing that we've been quandering and thinking about years and years and years. Why did the chicken cross the road? Okay? Of course, we know the simple answer to that, right? To get to the other side. But, but let's, let's ask some people that question. Why did the chicken cross the road? Let, let's ask Dr. Phil, okay? Dr. Phil, why did the Christian cross the road, chicken cross the road? The problem we have here is that this chicken won't realize that he first must deal with the problem on this side of the road before he goes after the problem on the other side of the road. What we need to do is help him realize how stupid he's acting by not taking on his current problems before adding new problems. Let's ask Oprah. Oprah, why did the chicken cross the road? Well, I understand that the chicken's having problems, which is why he wants to cross this road so bad. So instead of having the chicken learn from his mistakes and take falls, which is a part of life, I'm going to give this chicken a car so that he can just drive across the road and not live his life like the rest of the chickens. Let's ask President Obama. President Obama, why did the chicken cross the road? Well, the reason is obvious. The chicken could not find affordable health care on this side of the road. So like millions of other hardworking Americans, he had to cross to the other side of the road in order to find it. Let's ask former President George W. Bush. Why did the chicken cross the road? Well, we really don't care why the chicken crossed the road. We just want to know if the chicken is on our side of the road or not. The chicken is either against us or forest. There's no middle ground here. Let's go back a few years. Let's ask Pat Buchanan. Why did the chicken cross the road to steal the job of a decent, hardworking American? Let's ask former President Bill Clinton. Why did the chicken cross the road? I did not cross the road with that chicken. And then finally, let's ask Vice President Al Gore, why did the chicken cross the road? Well, I invented the chicken. <laughs> but if we really want to know, let's ask Bill Gates. He knows everything, right? 
Why did the chicken cross the road? Well, I have just released e-chicken 2013, which will not only cross roads, but will lay eggs, cook them any way you like, and file your important documents. You know, we can ask a lot of questions, right? Jesus was always asking questions. And in Matthew chapter 5, verses chapter, and through chapter 7, he, he, he preaches this sermon and, and he gets their attention because everywhere Jesus went, that's what he was doing, right? He was preaching, he was teaching, he was ministering, he was healing. That was his threefold ministry. In fact, there's really a, a fine line between preaching and teaching. Someone said preaching is pouring it on and teaching is rubbing it in. And so everywhere Jesus was going, he was pouring it on and, and he was rubbing it in. And on one occasion, he got all the multitude together and he began to preach this important sermon. He began his introduction there in Matthew chapter 5, uh, trying to get people's attention by, by talking about what makes them happy. How they could be blessed, how, how they could be happy. And he, and, he, and he got them in. And then he began to, to, to cover a, a whole myriad of subjects. He, he talked about persecution. He, he talked about anger. He talked about adultery. He talked about divorce. He talked about giving. He, he talked about praying. He talked about fasting. He talked about all kinds of things in this, in this sermon that he was preaching that, that applies directly to our Christian life. But finally, as he was getting to the end of the sermon, Jesus being the preacher that he was, he began to give the invitation. He began to, to draw it down. He began to apply it particularly to those people who were listening. And, and he makes a statement in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. We'll, we'll look at these two verses together. If you will stand with me, let's read them, and then we'll look at the rest of the chapter. But let's just stand and read these two in honor of God's Word. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few. Who find it? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you died on the cross so that we might have eternal life. That you died to pave the way to heaven for us. We thank you and we praise you for that gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I want to ask you another question today. Not, not something as ludicrous as, why did the chicken cross the road? I want to ask you another question. That's puzzled me for years. Back for about 30 years now, it has puzzled me. In, in our Southern Baptist Convention, we have 16 million members. 16 million. We are the largest Protestant denomination in the world. Can you tell me why, though, that out of 16 million, that on a typical Sunday morning, there are only about 6 million of them in all of our churches combined? Another puzzling thing. Recent surveys, you know, you can get surveyed for everything these days. Survey asks people, are you a Christian in America? 
Do you know that 8 out of 10, 80% of Americans say, yes, I am a Christian. But only half of them, less than half of them, responded affirmatively to the next question, are you actively involved in a local church? 80% Christian. 40% say I'm actively involved in a church. Answer this question, are you a born-again Christian? What we would think of as evangelicals, those who have had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Still, half, 50% of Americans say, yes, I am a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. And yet the majority of them disagree to the statement that says the Bible is totally true. Notice the disconnect there. But between what people say they believe and what people do. Jesus made an illustration. He said, really, there, there, there's two roads. There's a broad road that leads to destruction. Many are going to go that way. And then there's a narrow road that leads to life. And a few will find that road. When I moved to Arkansas 15 years ago, I began to hear about this thing called the pig trail. Anybody been on the pig trail? Woo pig, right? Yeah, we've been on the pig trail. And I remember one of my first trips to, to Fayetteville, and I went to Fayetteville, and I come back puzzled. I thought, man, that wasn't bad at all. We've got a you know, wide road, interstate. I mean, good trip. All they got is watch your speed. They really watch you going up through there on that, on that interstate. But it wasn't a bad road at all. I thought, what's, what's this big deal about the pig trail? That was pretty easy. I said, oh, no, that's, that's the new road. That's the interstate. We just didn't have the interstate. You had to go up the pig trail. It was, it was harder. A few years ago, I had to go to Huntsville, Arkansas. Anybody been to Huntsville, Arkansas? You got to hunt Huntsville, Arkansas, okay? <laughs> In Madison County, you got to hunt that place. And I remember they said, you know, go to Ozark, get off, go up through that, that road there. I think it's 23 or whatever, and you go up from, from, uh, from Ozark up to Huntsville. Well, to make matters worse, I got behind a log truck. That was the longest two and a half hours of my life. Now I understood what people were talking about when they talked about the pig trail. Well, Jesus being the great preacher that he was, he, he made the illustration. He said, you got two roads. You got a four-lane highway that leads to destruction. Or you got a pig trail that leads to life. And notice with Jesus, there was only two choices, Right? Remember, remember last week as Brother Tom finished up his series on the, the letters to the churches, he, he's, Jesus said, hey, hot or cold? This lukewarm stuff, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. There's no middle ground. Jesus said, either you're for me or you're against me. You're either on my team or you're on the other team. There's only two roads. One that leads to destruction one that leads to life. Now on the 
this road that leads to destruction, there are those that know exactly where they're going. They're proud of it. You know, they're driving down the road singing, Highway to hell. They know where they're going. Okay? They make jokes about it. Oh, I'm going to go to hell. That's where all my friends are. And I, I want to be with all my friends. They make no bones about it. They know the road they're on and they seem happy with it. But you know what's sad? Is that there are some folks over here on this broad road that think this is the road that leads to life. And they're on the wrong road and they don't realize it. They think they're on the... You say, well, surely no, no one could be on that road thinking that they were on the right road. Notice what Jesus says in verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Wow. They thought they were in, but they were not. Jesus never watered down the gospel to get people to follow him. They knew. They knew just like Hannah was talking about those folks in India. They knew that to follow Christ meant to lose their life. It seems like what we have done, the church of the 20th and, and now the 21st century, we tried to make it easier for people. In other words, we tried to narrow it down and say, hey, listen, all you got to do, you just come down to the front, pray a little prayer, fill out a card, get baptized, come to church when you can and read your Bible every now and then. That's all there is to it. Whatever's convenient for you, whatever, you know, whatever suits your fancy, you know, you're there. And you know, many people, when they pray that prayer, when they sign that card, when they get baptized in that baptistry, in their minds, they have no intention of following Jesus at all. You know what they're wanting? And you know what we promised them? A get out of hell free card. That's all they want. They want to live this life with the devil in his crowd. But then before they die, they want to have their get out of hell free card because they prayed a prayer, signed a card, and was baptized in those waters. That's not the New Testament. As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee and he saw Peter and Andrew and he said, they was over there working in their nets. He said, come, you come follow me. And they left their nets and they went and followed him. He went on a little ways further and he saw James and John. They were fishermen also and they were with their father Zebedee. And he said, hey, you come follow me. And the scripture says they left their nets and they left their father. <laughs> Can you imagine Zebedee said, hey, where are you guys going? 
We got these nets to mend. We got these fish to catch. I often thought, I grew up on a farm. I wonder how we was just out in the field working and Jesus come by and I said, see you, Dad, I'm going to go follow Jesus. That's exactly what James and John did. You read over a little further, he goes by and he sees a man by the name of Matthew who was a tax collector. He was sitting at the tax collector table. Can't you just see the money piled up on that table? And he said to Matthew, if you read it in Luke, he's called Levi. That was his other name. And he said to Matthew, Levi, he said, you, you come and follow me. And immediately, Matthew got up and he left the table. And all that money sitting on it. He didn't say, well, wait a minute, Jesus, let me run to the bank. Let me get this money in the safe. Let me make a deposit. Hey, let me get my backpack, get my money in here. He left it because what was once important to him to follow Jesus was not important to him anymore. He counted all things as loss. Jesus said, what profit is it for a man to gain the whole world lose your soul? You try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you'll lose your life for my sake, only then do you really gain it. Jesus didn't water it down and say, hey, it's real easy. No, it's real simple. You just pray a prayer and then do whatever you want to do and, and one day I'll just bring you on up here to heaven with me. He never said that. It's not New Testament. Jesus died on the cross for our sin so that our sin could be forgiven and we could enter into a lifelong relationship with him. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we have a false faith or a secure salvation? See, that's one of the reasons a lot of us like being Baptists because we know that as Baptists, we believe that once you're saved, you're always saved, right? You don't get saved and then lost. So, hey, if I just pray the prayer, if I just get in the water, if I just fill out the card, hey, I'm safe, I'm done. You know why so many people read the book of Revelation and want to try to figure it out? Because they want to see if they can somehow in there, there's some kind of secret code or something that they can figure out and pinpoint the exact moment that Jesus Christ is going to come back. So that they can do whatever they want to do right up to the very end and run in at the 11th hour, two minutes before he comes and say, oh, I love Jesus. That's why Jesus told him, told us to be looking for him every day you think if we were really looking for Jesus to come every day that we'd have any empty seats in this place this morning no if we really thought Jesus was coming today but here were these people Jesus said Lord they, they're going to say Lord Lord have we not prophesied in your name cast out demons in your name done all kinds of notice there was they were praying they were preaching there was there was power there was performance but it was all false. False praying, false preaching, false power, false performance. They were counterfeit. They, 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 they had a religion, but no relationship. You know, one day folks are going to stand before God and they're going to say, wait a minute, Lord, wasn't our name on the roll at Indian Springs Baptist Church? Didn't we teach a Sunday school class? Didn't we volunteer for vacation Bible camp? Weren't we out there in the hard days of Camp Jam? Didn't we go to beach camp? 
Didn't we go on that mission trip? And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Because there's a religion without a relationship. You see, today in counterfeit Christianity, there's, there's a, in, in our world today, there's a, there's a cultural Christianity. See, it's pretty popular these days. I mean, if you've got to choose something, you know, I, I mean, Christianity is a good thing to choose. You know, women, you don't want to be Muslim. You've got to wear that thing around your face, right? They don't want to be Hindu. I like eating steak too much. All those other things. So if I've got to choose something, hey, Christianity is the one I'm choosing. That's the way I'm going. But you know, there are people who profess him that don't possess him. There are people that have the Lord on their lips, but, but not in their lives. They claim to know Jesus, but they don't follow Jesus. It's just cultural or casual. Used to, we use these little blue tracks. We, we, we still... Uh, uh, have some, Leanne has them that she uses in our, uh, in our uh, food pantry ministry. And the, and the front question on that little blue track says, have you come to a place in your life where you know for certain that you have eternal life? And most people answer that question, no, nah, I don't know, I don't know if anybody can ever really be sure, whatever. And then you come to the second question, suppose you were standing before God right now and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What do you think you'd say? This is amazing at the answers that you get. Oh, well, I'm a good person, or I go to church, or my mama was a Christian. You get all kinds of answers that, that point to the fact that the person's lost. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. And then you get to the end of the presentation, and you, you want to share with them how they can come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and they say, oh, I've already done that. Oh, I, I prayed that prayer back in vacation Bible school. I prayed that prayer at, at youth camp. I, I prayed that prayer one time when the, we was having revival, and the preacher came around, and I raised my hand and prayed that prayer and went to the front. Pray to prayer. Jesus said not everyone who says Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, there's some casual Christians, folks that call themselves Christian, but there's no conviction in their life. So we're going to see in just a moment, Jesus said you're saved or you're not. And saved people act like saved people. There's a difference. Now, that's not to say that people who are Christians are, are perfect. And that doesn't say, well, well, if I've sinned, that must mean I'm not a Christian. That's not what the Bible teaches. But it does say that as believers, you and I can't sin without the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. We can't sin without feeling guilty about it. If you can sin and it doesn't bother you in the least, you need to go back and read Matthew chapter 7. Now remember how Jesus started Matthew chapter 7. He, he started with this verse, Judge not that you be not judged. See, no one can look at somebody's heart and tell whether they're a believer or not. But a child of the Father acts like the Father. And when we don't, we feel the conviction. And if we don't respond to His conviction, then we experience the discipline of God. Because who God loves, He chastises, He disciplines. You see, that's completely opposite of what we try to do in, in, in so many things today in church. We, we, we want to make sure everybody leaves feeling good about themselves. 
had a feeling, he said, I don't go to church anymore. Every time I go to church, I feel guilty. That's a good thing. Some preachers won't preach about sin because they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Think about it. That's like going to somebody that you know has cancer. And you go to them and try to convince them they don't have cancer so they'll still feel good about themselves. They need to know they have cancer. They need to go to the doctor. They need to get treatment. And a person who is lost without Jesus Christ, they don't need to go through life and us trying to make them feel good about it. Because we want to get them off the broad road and get them onto the narrow road. Jesus says there are a lot of folks going through life with a false faith. There's no conviction. No commitment. Because a call to follow Christ is also a call to be committed to Him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says don't ever cheapen something that cost Jesus his life. Grace is free. But it cost Jesus his life. A false faith or secure salvation. Jesus talked about two roads. Now he illustrates it again, being the, the preacher, the teacher that he is. He illustrates, he said, it's, it's like this. Look with me in verse 24. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was the fall notice the difference in through, and remember there's only two there's, there, there's no hybrid position there's no by position you either for me or you're against me, Jesus said. There's only two builders here. That, now, notice, both of them heard, right? Both of them built a house, right? But what was the difference? One heard and obeyed. The other one just heard. James says, be you doers of the word, James 1.22. Be you doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, if you just listen to the word and you never apply it to your life, you're just kidding yourself. James 2.14, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that kind of faith save him? James 2.17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You say, now wait a minute, preacher. Are you saying that you got to have works? That we're saved by works? I'm not saying that. That's not what the scripture teaches, is it? The scripture says it is by grace that you're saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. We're not saved by our work. We're saved because of Christ's work, right? We're saved because of his past work on the cross. And his present work in our lives. We're saved by what Jesus did for us. That's why we have to be careful even when we talk to our kids about you need to invite Jesus into your heart. 
You see, Jesus invites them to follow him. Jesus takes the initiative. We don't just wake up one day and say, well, you know, I think I want to follow Jesus. Jesus invites us. And it's not by works. But once we have repented of our sin, placed our total trust and faith in Jesus Christ, and he changes us from the inside out, then there will always be works. Works will follow. Now notice, there will be two houses there. But when the rain comes, the storm comes, the wind comes, the one built on the rock, it'll stand. The one that's not built on sand, it'll fall. One's a hearer and a doer. One's just a hearer. False faith or secure salvation. A faithful listener is one who has a secure salvation. But then Jesus illustrates it one more way very quickly. Back up with me to uh, verse 17 of chapter 7. He's talked about two roads, two houses. Now he uses two trees. He said, even so every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. What's he saying? What's on the inside will eventually bubble up to the outside. See, it's not my job to go around and judge and judge and decide and all that. But Jesus said it's very clear. You really don't have to. You just look at the tree. Good fruit, good tree. Bad fruit, bad tree. Not rocket science. You're one or the other. There again, there's a dichotomy. It's not, well, I got some good, some bad. Some good on this side, some bad on that side. Some days good fruit, some days bad fruit. No, Jesus said good. Bad. A tree is known by its fruit. You see, a secure salvation is a person who hears the word and does it, but there's also a fruitful life. What kind of fruit we're talking about? Well, first of all, that internal fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. Because when He saves you, when He changes you, He places His Holy Spirit within you. And all of those things that accompany the fruit of the Spirit are there. Love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and, and, and self-control. All of those things are there. And then there's external fruit. People see your life and they're coming to know Christ because of what they see in your life. What if someone went to your office tomorrow? Went to your workplace, your school. Went to your boss and said, hey, I want you to name for me all the Christians who work here. <laughs> Would your name be on his list? Would there be anything different about you than the, than, than the other people who work there? Jesus said a believer will have good fruit. 
In fact, if our lives don't reflect the fruit of following Jesus, then we're foolish to think that we're followers of Jesus in the first place. Again, don't hear me say that Christians are perfect. But it does say that when Christians sin, they're convicted, they're broken, they're sorrowful, and they repent and they turn. You ever anybody say, well, I'm a Christian, I just don't live like it. Well, Jesus seems to be saying in Matthew chapter 7, that statement cannot be true. If you're a Christian, you'll live like it. And if you're not living like it, you're kidding yourself. You say, well, preacher, that's not your place to judge. I'm not judging you. Just like you're not judging me. But I just wouldn't want to be in that group that stands before him and begins to tell him all the wonderful things I've done for him. And he say, depart from me. I don't even know who you are. In fact, I've never even known you. Gang, we can be wrong about a lot of things. <laughs> if you name it in life, I've been wrong about it at one time or another. Every time I pick a stock, it always goes down. You know, I'm wrong. But there's one thing we can't afford to be wrong about. And that's our relationship with God. And it's more than just praying a prayer and waiting around until we die so that we can go to heaven. It's a commitment that all the rest of the world seems to understand. But here in America, we've forgotten it. That to follow Christ means we lose our life for Him. His will, His purpose becomes our will, our purpose. Because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You see, God doesn't want you going through life wondering and guessing and hoping whether or not you're going to make it to heaven. In fact, 1 John 5, 13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants you to know that. But Paul also wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. He said, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. That's what the Holy Spirit, that's what He does in our lives. We've got to know that we know. We've got to be sure that we're sure. I like the way the old preacher said it. He said, be who you is. Because if you ain't who you is, you is who you ain't. That made perfect sense in Alabama. I don't know if it makes sense in Arkansas or not. But a lot of people are running around trying to be who they ain't. And they're claiming to be what they ain't. And some of them's names are on the roll of the Indian Springs Baptist Church and the Geyer Springs Baptist Church and the First Southern Baptist Church and all other churches in Saline County and around the nation. 
trying to be who they ain't. And Jesus is very, very clear. Either you is or you ain't. Can't have one foot in this side and one foot on this side. You is or you ain't. You are or you're not. And you can't afford to be wrong about it. I want to ask you to bow your head just for a moment, very quickly. Stu and our band are coming.